Dr. John Hood is the first Vice-Chancellor of Oxford University ever to be appointed from outside the university. He was a very highly successful businessman in New Zealand, and he was also later the Vice-Chancellor of the University of Auckland in New Zealand before he came here to Oxford. And the New Zealanders were so sorry to lose him that they even ran a Maori ceremony um, before the induction of Dr. Hood as the Vice-Chancellor of Oxford University. I uh, took part in that ceremony. I was very pleased to do so. He has now steered the university through five years of major change and development. And what I'd like to do first, John, is to ask you about those changes. What do you see as the major achievements that you've made while being Vice-Chancellor of the University, how do you think Oxford has changed over that five years? Well, Dennis, I don't think Vice-Chancellors themselves affect change. I think they are part and parcel of the process of ongoing development, evolution, adaptation to the wider environment in which the institution finds itself. Um, having said that, I think when one reads the history of the University of Oxford, one sees a history of an institution that's constantly changing, constantly evolving and adapting, constantly uh, following the aspirations of the scholars of the university because they are what constitute the institution at any point in time. Um, over the course of the past four or five years, um, I think we have seen some quite distinct changes. Among them, um, I think I would mention the, uh, the very substantial growth of the funded research portfolio within the university. I think by the time I depart in six months' time, uh, in effect, research revenues will have doubled. That has uh, come about um, because it has been a more fertile research environment. Uh, we've seen a lot of money come into the university from charities, both local, like the Wellcome Trust and the British Heart Foundation, Cancer Research UK, but also global, like Gates and others of Gates Ilk. Um, but we've also seen the research councils here under the government's 10-year plan uh, put a lot more money into yes. research, particularly yes. in the social sciences and the science and sciences and medical sciences. Uh, we've seen industry uh, contribute considerably more, and we've had great success with our spin-out uh, companies, and right. they too have invested back in the yeah. institution. I think that has um, catalyzed, in effect, a lot of uh, new institute activity, a lot of new research centres have been created, and many individual scholars have been able to pursue their curiosities from a better funded base. Right. Now, of course, when that sort of growth takes place, it means the university has to focus more intensively on its, uh, on its infrastructure and its planning for the because future. Because there are costs that go with all of Correct. that. Exactly. Correct. Yes. And um, sure. as you will be only too well aware, uh, the university had gone through many decades of underinvestment in its physical infrastructure, sure. not through any fault of its own, but because the environment had been less generous to it. Yeah. And so we have, in the course of the past uh, five or so years, been able to plan more aggressively to replace infrastructure and to add to the infrastructure yes. of the university. So if we think of this in terms of chalk marks, as it were, yeah. <laughs> first chalk yeah. mark is a better financial situation, particularly for the research side of the university. Indeed. And more attention paid to the infrastructure. Yes. And, of course, viewers of Voices from Oxford will have already seen some of the beautiful new buildings that yes. have been going up around Oxford. Yes. And that, that 
is clearly seen. A doubling in five years is phenomenal. It is an extraordinary rate of growth. And um, I think it does give some sense for the, the pent-up power of the scholars of yes. Oxford, really. That, yes. that this was all there waiting to happen, but the funding hadn't been there to allow them to, to realise those aspirations. Yes. Yeah. Well, John, that, that's all very, very good news from the point of view of the university, what it can do for the world, because this programme is broadcast to the four corners of the earth, so in part we're trying to um, say to the world what Oxford can do for you. What I'd like to ask now, though, is this. There's spectacular growth in Oxford's recent research income, doubling over five years, yet we've also, as a world, hit a very major economic crisis, the big credit crunch. And there are two questions, I think, that people will naturally want us to look at. One is, um, what do you think about that, the credit crunch, what the impact will be on higher education, what the impact might be on Oxford itself? And then as a secondary question, what can the university do that might contribute to the ways in which we get out of this rather terrible situation? Okay, um, look, clearly um, the recession in which we find ourselves had, well, has had and will continue to have a marked impact on the financing of this university. For a start, our endowments, both in the colleges and in the university, have been negatively impacted by the, uh, the, the, the very substantial downturn in the markets. Sure. Um, and we do. We are very dependent upon our endowments, particularly within the colleges, um, yeah. for the level of activity we sustain here and the quality of that activity. Uh, second, um, the government has obviously been forced to spend a very substantial amount of its forward budgets uh, supporting the financial services sector and the finance sector more broadly, and other government programs that are inevitable when one is in a depression yeah. or a recession. Um, so that means that there will be lower and tighter settlements for the tertiary sector, both on the teaching side and on the research side going forward. And we've seen something of that this year, where we've seen an effective dilution of the funding per researcher yeah. in the QR settlement after the most recent RAE, where Oxford did yeah. so phenomenally well. Yes. However, the dilution yeah. in funding has yeah. given us very little Indeed, in, yes. in the aggregate. Sure. So we're seeing that starting to cut as well. I think another impact it will have financially is um, uh, it may well have industry tempering its investment in research sure. and of course the charities will have been impacted in both, both in terms of their um, endowment levels right. and their returns on endowment. Right. So it must have some impact on their funding going forward even yes. though I suspect most of them will be operating a smoothing mechanism as indeed the university does for its own yes. endowment. Um, the final thing I would say about the impact of the recession on the university is that, um, as you know, we have a, re a government review of the top-up fees regime uh, ah, yes. slated to begin its work late this year. Yes. And I think that review will be very much tempered by the aggregate context, community society context, in which it takes place. Yes. What can the university do? Well, I think the university must continue to do what the university does best and that is to encourage its scholars uh, and provide an environment where its scholars can think creatively, constructively, analytically about the world as we find it today, yes. and to translate their thinking and their research and their scholarship out into the world to try and help society at large, governments, other agencies, to think critically about the right remedies for the yes. situation yes. we find ourselves in. 
I think more than that, um, we've seen a, a significant step up in the level of um, applications for graduate programs at the university. Right. So that obviously means that we must do our bit to train the graduates, yes. uh, particularly yes. those who have come yes. out of the workforce and have seen this as an opportunity to upskill yes. before they yes. go back into the workforce. Yes, indeed. Yes. More than that, again, I think history would tell us that during recessions, um, it is a time where both governments rethink their strategy and where firms rethink their strategies. And so the university needs to be alert to that, particularly in, in a high-tech world, and to be thinking about the quality and nature of its academic programs and right. the way in which we are preparing our students for the yeah. jobs that they will yes. ultimately go into yes. in a world that will be very different uh, exactly to the world so. that graduates went out into two years ago, three years ago, five years ago. Indeed so. Um, just to follow up, John, on the, on the question of the credit crunch and related matters, um, England has just recently hosted the G20. Mm -hmm. um, wh what did you think of that, and how do you think the world is now coping with the challenge that lies before it? Um, well, I, I, I may have been in a minority, perhaps, but I actually felt after the meeting uh, more optimistic than I had right. felt pre the meeting. I was surprised by the uh, le level of togetherness uh, that was achieved at the meeting and the relative level of calm at the end of the meeting about the announcements. I mean, there were no obvious detractors. Different countries had taken different positions and had slightly different views from yeah. one another, as indeed they're, they're entitled to do and obviously must do. But I, I was impressed, I think, by the, um, by the level of unity that was shown. And I think it's interesting that uh, the markets reacted in a positive way to that. Um, yeah. So I thought it was um, a meeting that had to take place, and I doubt that we could have got a better set of outcomes than we achieved. Yes. Um, John, I wonder whether we could move on now to a question which naturally arises. You've been Vice-Chancellor of two major universities, the top university in New Zealand, uh, what I certainly and what you probably think of as the top university here in the United Kingdom and, and, and a very great university in the world. There's naturally a question that people want to ask you, which is what would your vision for higher education now be in the light of that experience? You've come from industry <laughs> experience two very different universities, although excellent universities mm. in their own way. Mm. Um, how would you now see higher education serving the world? Um, what's the vision? Um, well, I think it is very easy to be selfish about a vision for higher education. Selfish because of the privileged uh, position I've had in two very special universities. Um, and I think that in a way would miss entirely the function and role of higher education in our societies in the world today. Um, we mustn't forget that um, increasingly high proportions of those both from secondary school and many of those out in the communities are now going into higher education in one form or another. Indeed. Yeah. And that uh, therefore there is a role for higher education um, doing what an Oxford does which is to uh, to um, educate young people, to develop their critical faculties, uh, to develop their powers of analysis and synthesis and original thinking, 
to be concerned initially at the undergraduate level, not so much about what they think, but how they think, and to do that in a very special small group teaching way. I think there is a role there, a very, very important role for, an inst for the institutions that can afford to teach in that way. Yeah. Just as there is a very important role for those relatively few institutions in the world that can afford to run absolutely top-flight research programs across the spectrum of conventional academic disciplines, and further than that, develop those research programs in a way that brings the scholars to together originally to address some of the more challenging issues confronting the world today. And so I think that's very valid. But at the same time, I also think it's very valid for a regional institution to be well linked into its local community right. and to be providing uh, an education which is relevant in a training sense for those who will go out and fertilise the roles within that local community. And we see that whole spectrum in our society today. And I think, if anything, since I've come back into this sector in the last 11 years, I've become even more aware of the power of higher education through the spectrum of society, right. not just at the particular niche that we are privileged to address here at Oxford. Right. I'd like now to move on to another aspect of your own experience, which is that of having been both in industry and in the academic world. The question of how those two sectors benefit from each other, interact with each other, what are the advantages and dangers all of that. How do, you, how do you see the industry-university link-up, divide, or however you want to describe it? Well, um, let me preface this in a conventional way by saying that um, I've always believed that the two most fundamental values of the academy are our institutional autonomy and maintaining the freedom of our scholars to go about their research and their scholarship as they themselves choose, subject to the normal standards of scholarly inquiry. Uh, and they must be protected at all costs, and I see that as a primary function of anyone who has the position that I've been fortunate to occupy. But having said that, we are a creature of the society in which we exist, and so we have myriad relationships with um, government, with industry, with charities, with all sectors of our society, and we have a responsibility to manage those relationships well. Uh, in the case of business, as you know only too well, Dennis, from your own scientific background, this university, I think, has been among the leaders in um, developing its intellectual property in a way yeah. that's allowed it to license it, to yeah. spin it out, and to form very novel relationships with new firms and old uh, yeah. as a result. Just as we've been at the forefront of working with the industrial enterprises in this country, the large pharmaceutical companies of the world, for example, oil companies, the energy companies, companies across the spectrum, service companies, uh, in a way where we can, where our scholars can use their expertise in conjunction with those organisations to push forward both their understanding of the world out there and an, and an organisation's right. understanding right. of elements that will be important to their own competitive advantage. Yes. Now we have to do that very carefully to preserve those values I spoke sure. about and that's why the nature of contracts we write is important, yes. uh, but we do have a responsibility, I believe, uh, to, be, to translate what happens in the academy in a useful way yes. to sure. each part of our society. So another aspect in which the university helps the wider society of the world. A very powerful aspect, sure. yes. Sure. yes. I'd like now to um, 
close the interview, John, with a, a sort of more personal question. You're obviously an extremely busy man. Mm. <laughs> do you find time to relax? And what, do you do? <laughs> what do you do when you find it? Um, well, I love music. Um, and I love um, all of the arts, uh, the visual arts, the performing arts, the literary arts, right. and so forth. Uh, and I love sport. Um, although, in, in the case of someone of my um, advanced years and yes. um, uh, occupation, I'm afraid it's a passive interest in sport these days yes. rather than an active one. But those are my... Uh, no vice-chancellorial cricket bat. Uh, sadly, not today. <laughs> <laughs> although, Dennis, I did see in my diary this morning that a, an afternoon has been reserved late in Trinity term ah. when I might join one of the um, staff teams here. Ah, tonight. that might be very good. <laughs> that would be something to watch. <laughs> well, Dr John Hood, Vice-Chancellor of Oxford University, thank you very much for talking to Voices from Oxford. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.